0: The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Today, I want to give thanks for the fact that my friend Tim Kane is here with us today. If you don't know Tim, let me give you a very brief introduction. Tim, if I would describe Tim to you, this is the description I thought of this morning. A joyfully serious love for God and neighbor. Like the man is joyful, I love his joy. But he is a serious lover of God and lover of those around him. I so appreciate Tim's example that way. He leads Kaleo Church in El Cajon, with whom we have a wonderful friendship and partnership in Jesus, and we're grateful for that. So, Tim, welcome. Thank you for bringing the word to us today. Thank you so much. Well. It is really, really good to be with you, so I'm very thankful, and yes, it is. I I love coming and just recognizing so many people, and it feels like a little bit of home, so it's good to be here, sweet to worship with you and sing to our great God. So let's pray, and then we'll begin. Dear God, we thank you for the way you've loved us. Thank you for the way you've forgiven us. Thank you for the way you've sustained us, holding us together each moment with your hand and just ask that even as we look at this text, that you would open our eyes to just recognize even more your goodness to us and your goodness to others and give us hearts to be thankful for both and for all of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want you to picture something that you want, something you don't have that you want, uh, something you want badly. I think of something big that you want badly—not just like a little, you know, something from Amazon, but something, some big thing in your life that you're, that you've been desiring for a while. That you that you want, you don't have right now. Maybe you know you you're single and you just you want to get married. You can't. Find the right person, you're just waiting, or maybe you 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 you're longing for a little baby, or maybe there's a a promotion at work that you're just been working hard for and you got your eye on, and you're you're longing for it, maybe you wish your kids were better behaved, or maybe you wish they did better in school, or things were just easier for them, or um, maybe you even wish that they loved God more than they did, well whatever it is, maybe. You just, you wish, whatever it is, get in your mind. All right. Now, how do you feel when someone comes to you with the news that they're celebrating, receiving, or getting that thing that you really want? How do you feel when one of your friends gets engaged again? I mean, you know, a different friend, but uh, you know what I'm saying? So, 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 but you know, another one of your friends, Sarah, you know, how do you feel when you get invited to another baby shower or when a coworker gets that promotion that you've been longing for or when you hear parents just gushing over how their children obey, I don't know what it's called, maybe first time or whatever, you know, like the first time you say something, they always do it or, or how do you feel when, uh, when, when like, uh, you know, somebody tells you like, craziest thing, I bought my kid these toys for Christmas and they taught them how to read and now they just are reading to themselves, I didn't even know, you know, like, uh, how do you feel when, when you hear that, uh, Here's the thing. Here's what I want you thinking. I think if we're honest, we'd acknowledge there are times where other people share some very good news with us, and for some reason, we don't feel happy inside. I don't know how you would necessarily describe that emotion, but it's the experience you have where someone is smiling telling you what is clearly making them happy and you just can't muster that same happiness for them. You might not know exactly what you're feeling, you just know it's not happiness. And sometimes it's, it's even more noticeable when they're telling this amazing happy story and everybody else is smiling and you just feel kind of weird because inside you know that what you're feeling isn't like smiling. And so maybe you smile and maybe you congratulate them, but the truth is you're not enjoying the conversation. Well, that twinge, that feeling, whatever, whatever it feels like is envy. Thomas Aquinas defines envy as sorrow for another person's good. I like to define envy as the distress we feel over other people's success. I like that word distress because it's kind of like, I don't even know what distress feels like, but you just know it when you got it, right? You know, like that distress that you feel, that not happiness that you feel when other people tell you about their, their, their success. Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Poole says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. In many ways, envy is actually the very opposite of love. Jonathan Edwards defines love like this. Love is desire and delight in another person's good. So love desires for something good to happen to someone else, and then when it does, love delights that something good happened to them. What does envy do? Envy distresses when something good happens to someone else. You see how they're almost opposites, delighting and distressed. Now, let me just ask you something, because this is kind of crazy to think about. Which one of these people do you think will be happier? Think of the two definitions. Do you think you would be happier if you found yourself constantly distressed at all the good things that happened to everyone else? Or you'd be happier if you found yourself just delighting Every time something good happened to somebody else. It's crazy, but envy literally steals joy. This is what it does. It, It takes the delight that love offers. Think about the definition of love. Love is offering you limitless delight. I mean, how many good things are happening to people out there? Just look at Facebook if you need to know more. You'll find even more good things happening to people you didn't even know. There's plenty of good things happening to other people. If you actually love them, then you would have delight over all of those things. Envy has distress. Envy, so like most sins are like a baited hook. You like bite it and you kind of get the bait and it tastes good for a minute and then you realize, shoot, like there's a hook. You know, now I'm in trouble, that hurt. Uh, not worth it. Envy is all hook. It's the only sin that, or I mean, it's not the only, it, one, one, one person once wrote, it's the only one of the seven deadly sins that is no fun at all. This is no fun at all. There's just nothing good about it. There's no joy in envy. It's all hook. You don't even get like a moment of pleasure. It's just from the minute it starts, it's all hook. So envy is no fun at all. And when you see it in other people, it's really ugly, right? All of us have seen envious people and we're like, ah, that doesn't look that fun, right? I mean, it, does. it looks bad. It's a bad look on other people when we see it. And yet... We, we, we can't seem to, to, to figure out, you know, how to see it as ugly in ourselves. And here's why. We often miss envy in ourselves because envy loves to hide. And you want to know what its favorite disguise is? Envy's favorite disguise is a desire for justice. I mean, envy is no fun at all, right? Which means it's just distress. So if you just, if no one accepts distress for the fun of it, but for the cause of justice? Who of us would not be willing to be distressed for the cause of justice? We don't need any bait. If if it's justice, we can mount distress. You see, if you know that somebody worked harder than you did, if you genuinely believe that somebody deserves something more than you, you find it a lot easier to accept the good news when they tell you about it, right? You're like, yeah, they, they deserved it. You know what? They, they worked harder than me. They've been at it longer than me. It, it, that is okay. But it's really hard. It's really hard when, when you hear, when, when you've been trying to get pregnant for like years and then someone comes to church and they're just like, oops. Craziest thing happened. I'm pregnant again, and we weren't even trying. Like, that's the kind of good news that can cause someone distress. Or when you've been working so hard for this promotion, and you turn in the application, and you thought you did your very best, and then your coworker gets it, and they tell you, craziest thing. I didn't even apply for it. They, like, came to me and just asked me if I wanted it. Like, that's the kind of good news that can cause distress. It is hard to celebrate people who get the things that we want if we think we deserve them more. Those are the two things that make it hard. We have to want it. It's also not hard to envy people getting good things that you don't want. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, like... Uh, You know, when somebody orders, like, some kind of food that you don't like, and and they're, like, smelling it, and they're, like, smiling, you're like, I'm glad you like it, but you're not envious, you know, because you don't want that, right? You have to want it, and you have to think you deserve it more. And when you believe those two things, that distress you feel doesn't feel like envy. It feels like a desire for justice. I want you to just imagine me. Just imagine this scenario with me. You're going to have to use your imagination. Uh, let's imagine you're really hard up for money. You just need, you need a little extra money. And somebody comes and says, I'll give you 150 bucks. You got to help me move. It's an all-day project. So you say, all right. I, I genuinely need the money. So you get up early. You go with them. Four other people come with you to the house. You start. It's just backbreaking work, and you start to help them move. And you, you know, you're like, I don't think we're gonna get all this done. You know, today it's killing you. And praise God. A little while later, you know, a few hours later, another group shows up and they help. And and pretty soon, you know, it's about one o'clock in the afternoon. You get the truck loaded. You drive across town, and there's another group. At the new house, and so you're like, okay, so that that's great, and so they're helping you get it all unloaded. And right about dark, another group of people came in, and they helped you unpack all the boxes and put everything away. And you finally finished. And then the boy, you know, the homeowner comes out and he says, "All right, time time for your for your money." And he says, "I want you to line up just just people that that came here the shortest. You guys stay up front, and the the people you that worked all day, you guys, I'll pay you guys last." And and so the people come through the line, he gives them an envelope, and the people that worked an hour, they pull out the 150 bucks, and they're like, this is amazing, like, praise God, one hour, 150 bucks, they're so excited, they're like, waving it around, they're like, I need this, like, this is going to help me pay for Christmas gifts for my kids, it's going to be the greatest, and inside, you're just smiling, and you're so happy, because you start the calculations, you're like, $150 $150 for one hour. I've been here like 12 hours. Let's say the guy is just like, you know, I mean, I'm obviously probably not going to get 12 times 150, but I bet I get like at least 500 bucks, maybe a 1,000 bucks. I won't be surprised if there's a 1,000 bucks in there. And i uh, And you are just like stoked. And, uh, you know, he's coming through and and you get the envelope and you open it up and you've already spent, you know, at least 500 of the dollars. So you just like cannot wait to just pull it out and just like, you've been praising God for like so long. And you open it up and you pull out $150. And you're like, wait a minute. And you look at the other three guys just to see if he, you know, maybe give you the wrong envelope, you know. And they got $150, too. So anyway, that story is actually just a parable from the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, I want you to think about how you'd feel. And then I bet you're going to relate to the people in the Bible how they felt. Because in Matthew 20, that's what happened. And this is what they said. Tell me if you think maybe you'd relate Matthew 20, 11 through 12. And on receiving the $150, they grumbled to the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Clearly, these people are distressed, aren't they? And what are they distressed at? Notice, they're distressed at the good that the people that worked one hour received. But if you ask them, why do you think you're distressed? What are you gonna call your distress? Do you think they'd call it envy? Do you think they would, like, I just have a real problem with envy. That's why I'm so distressed right now. I don't think that's what they would say. I think they would be like, no, this is a justice issue, not envy, justice. That's how it hides. But listen to what the homeowner responds, verse 13 through 15. Friend, I did you no wrong. Did you not agree to work for $150? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker the same thing I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you begrudging my generosity? See what the master does? He unmasks their cry for justice and reveals it to be the envy that it is. They were not angry at an injustice. That's what he makes very clear. My friend, I did you no wrong. What's he trying to say? There is no injustice that has taken place on this property today, none. I gave you exactly what we agreed to work for. In fact, if he would have paid them first, they would have went away happy, never even knowing what would have happened, totally thankful, totally happy. They got paid exactly what they deserved. Their distress is not About what they got paid, it's about how much he paid the people that worked one hour. That's why their distress is about people getting more than they deserved, people getting better than they deserved. That's what they're distressed about. So here's what I'm trying to say ultimately, what caused them distress was grace. They're distressed by grace. They did not like how generous this master was to people who only worked an hour. That is envy. Envy does not fight for justice. Envy fights against grace. The enemy of envy is grace. Envy is not mad that anyone got cheated. Nobody gets cheated in this story. Envy is mad at the people that got blessed. Envy is the distress that you feel and I feel when we disagree with God's distribution of his grace. But can't our God do what he wants with his grace? And is it really that bad that our God chooses to be so generous to so many people? Is that? Is having a generous God the worst thing in the world? Is that really something that ought to keep us up at night? Now, let me tell you something. This is just a piece of advice. This is extra. This is a piece of advice. If you allow the generosity of God to cause you distress, you will be miserable. Simply because our God is so radically generous. I was trying to picture it. It'd be like being allergic to the sun. It will make life really hard for you because our God's generosity is as prevalent as the sun. We talk a lot. Here's what I've been thinking about. We talk a lot about, and and it's, it's common knowledge, I believe, just how costly love can be. The suffering that love brings, right? Love make you have to be vulnerable, right? Love anything and you'll be vulnerable and you'll have your heart broken. We all know that love hurts, that love requires sacrifice, that love brings pain and suffering into our lives that we might avoid if we didn't love. And that is true. It's very true. You've all experienced it. But let me tell you something else. The pain that love brings doesn't steal joy. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endures the cross. Love brought him pain, but it didn't steal his joy. The pain that envy brings steals joy. What this means is that there's actually more suffering in choosing not to love than there is in loving. You see, the suffering that you suffer for love lets you keep your joy. But when you choose not to love, you sign yourself up for a life of suffering, without joy. Well, I'm just trying to like, like just turn the turn them a little bit because like the world tells you that you know if you love less, you suffer less. But if the opposite of love is envy, and if envy is pure pure you know distress, that's not really true. If you love less, you'll be distressed more. I mean, could you imagine the joy you could experience in life if other people's, if all the good that happened to other people made you happy? I mean, just think about it, right? Like, how much joy would be available if All of the good things that happened to everybody in your life made you genuinely happy. You could be genuinely happy a lot. But before you and I will ever be able to do that, we got to learn what to do with our envy. That's what envy is keeping us from, that joy. So when it comes to fighting envy, I think it's important to remember that we ourselves are recipients of God's grace. Grace isn't just something that everybody else gets that, that, you know, and that's what's a little bit different than the story, right? In the story, the people don't get grace. They get what they deserve, and they're mad about other people. But in real life, we've all received grace. In fact, uh, an interesting story about envy is it, John is baptized, John the Baptist is baptizing everybody, everybody, crowds are all coming to him, you can kind of imagine what that's like, you know, when everybody's coming to you, and then all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene, John baptizes him, John bears witness to him, and then everybody leaves John, and starts following Jesus, and his disciples are distressed by that, John's disciples, they say to him in John three twenty six, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, He's baptizing and then everybody's going to him. He stole your thing, right? You're John the Baptist. He stole your thing and now everybody's going to him. And the disciples want to know Does that distress you? Are you distressed at Jesus' success? Because they're envious, they're distressed by it. And what does John say? Verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Here John shows why he's not envious. He's not envious because he sees everything as a gift from God, everything. You see, envy is based on the lie that we deserve more. That's what envy is based on. It finds its power in the lie that we deserve more. Now, I just want you to see how crazy genius our God is. Envy is based on the lie. The power of envy is the lie that we deserve more. And the existence of envy in our hearts, with all of its ugliness, is the proof that we don't. The power of envy comes because we think we deserve more. But the minute envy comes and in your heart and makes you think you deserve more, its very presence proves you don't deserve more because if you did, you wouldn't be envious. <laughs> Your envy is ugly, and it proves you don't deserve more. In Psalm 73, the psalmist is struggling deeply with envy. He's envious of the wicked. He sees the prosperity of the wicked. They have everything that he wants. He's keeping his heart pure. He's following God, and they have everything that he wants. And then God takes him into the sanctuary, and he sees that the wicked are on their way to eternal destruction. And he realizes this. I have been envying People on their way to hell. And he says in verse 21 and 22, my soul was embittered when I was pricked in hard. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast. Towards you. Envy makes us brutish and ignorant. It's a beastly thing. And it's based on a lie that we deserve more, and yet its presence proves we don't. And what makes matters worse is envy fights against the very grace that we need to change. We are like a people in desperate need of grace fighting against it. Like, you know, the person drowning that's like swinging their arms and punching the lifeguard, right? Like, it's just not smart. But as terrible as envy is, and the way that it fights against God's grace, the sweet thing is envy has no chance. The flailing swimmer might knock the lifeguard out, but uh, the flailing sinner has no chance against our God. You see, his grace is simply bigger than our envy. In fact, our God is so powerful, you know what he decided to do? He decided to use our envy to give us his grace. That's some crazy, Right? He's like, not just will I conquer envy, I'll use it. I'll use it to give grace. The the most gracious thing we ever see is is when the word becomes flesh, right, that you're going to talk about the next few weeks and dwells among us full of grace and truth. And Jesus goes around just lavishing grace on everyone, giving people more than they deserve wherever he goes. And what happens when grace is present? Envy rears its head, doesn't it? You ever read, I I was thinking about this, that that definition of envy is so helpful because when you read the the New Testament, you read about the Pharisees, the one thing they're almost always in is distress, right? They're like, they're just always distressed. Why? Because because they're, they're, they're distressed at the good grace that God is just lavishing onto all these undeserving people. And envy grew so strong in the Pharisees, they falsely accused Jesus, put him on trial. In fact, Matthew 27, 18, as Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate says, I know it's out of envy that they put him there. And so if you still haven't bought everything I've tried to tell you about how bad envy is, just remember, envy killed Jesus. That's how bad it is. On the cross, we behold the greatest Result, the, the, the greatest demonstration of envy this world has ever seen as people gather together in an attempt to destroy God's grace by killing Jesus. And yet, the cross, intended by the Pharisees to put an end to God's grace, becomes the very source of it. It's the very fountain from which all grace flows. That's what our God does. He uses our envy to give us his grace. (laughs) And what's even crazier is that who does God give his grace to? The very people who are fighting against it. He gives his grace to the envious. Look, Listen to Titus 3, 3 3-5. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Paul was a recipient. Paul knew envy. He was a Pharisee. He spent his early life trying to erase the memory and name of Jesus off the face of the earth. But instead of destroying him, God comes and by his grace, he transforms this Pharisee full of envy into apostle full of love. This one who was distressed, breathing out curses against God's grace into one who Acts twenty twenty four tells us now doesn't account his life as anything if only he can finish the course to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's... A gospel that can take the envious and transform them into pro- proclaimers of God's grace. I find this to be amazing news because the truth is, uh, envy is something that I struggle with all my life. Well I, I just, I, I just had this insanely from the time I was a kid, like competitive heart. I mean, so competitive when I look back. It, it's, it 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 sickens me to think. But I remember, like I would have rather—I didn't even have a concept of team. I just always wanted to be the best. Like so, I I would rather be the best player on a team that lost than sit on the bench of a team that won. Yeah, I would rather play well and lose than play poorly and win. I mean, it's—I mean, obviously, looking back, and when I started coaching, I I saw that in others, and it's sick. It's horrible. But it's who I was. And when I became a pastor, it's not just like all the competitive juices just disappeared and praise God, you know what I'm saying? Like now it's just what you compete about becomes even more like ugly. Like, like how big your church is, or how fast it grows, or or you know, like things like that. And and I I would struggle when when my peers would have good things happen, like fast-growing churches, or write books, or get to speak at conferences. I mean, I, by this time, I knew that envy was ugly, and I felt like it was ugly. But I've been in rooms where uh, some every everyone is like, all these pastors are congratulating this pastor on accomplishing something that I really wish that I had accomplished. And I'm feeling distressed, and they're all like and like so happy, and I'm looking at them, and you know how crazy envy is. Once envy lets you know that it's ugly, it's like, oh, shoot, you figured out I'm ugly. Now guess what? I started envying all the pastors that were so happy for this person. (laughs) Because I was like, why do I have this ugly feeling inside and they're so happy? So now I'm envying people that don't envy. I'm like, dude, I wish I was happy. (laughs) <laughs> so I wish I had their lack of envy. <laughs> so, so, like, that's just how messed up envy is. It can, it, 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 like you find it in one spot and it, it just slithers in somewhere else. It's crazy. It's crazy. So what I'm going to do tonight, and, I, and I'm actually going to do it this morning. I preached this at night, but I'm going to do this. First time I preached it was this morning. But, uh, but this morning, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to give you a few minutes on things that have helped me fight envy because I've had to fight it and I still am fighting it and things that are helping me fight it. So the first thing, I I do feel that confessing envy, even confessing it this morning, confessing it, the first time I preached this, is helpful because confessing with self-awareness of envy and its ugliness is the first step of fighting it. Because remember, envy is based on the lie that we deserve more. And when we finally stop justifying it as a desire for justice and acknowledge it as the ugly sin that it is, it cuts the legs under the belief that we actually do deserve more. And so it, it actually steals. The ugliness of envy is able to disempower. So confessing it, recognizing it and confessing it is the first step. Not only does confessing envy help us see that we do not deserve more, but it also helps us to see we don't even deserve what we have. You see here, envy, what does envy love to focus? Envy just focuses on what it doesn't have. And here's what I thought was so crazy. In the garden, when people had everything, they still, envy still found a way to focus on the one thing they didn't have, What's the one thing Adam and Eve didn't have? One tree, and they weren't God. There's the one thing. They had everything else, but they weren't God. And Satan found a way to make them not happy with everything but being God. But envy focuses on what we don't have, but when we recognize we don't deserve anything, then we start to focus on what we do have, and we respond to that with gratitude. You see, gratitude is the antidote to envy. You see, what gratitude does is it takes your attention off of what you don't have, and it focuses on what you do have, and it gives thanks for it. Gratitude, remember, envy fights grace. Gratitude appreciates grace. And so we stop fighting, and we begin to appreciate. And when you begin to appreciate grace in your own life, You become more aware of it and more appreciative of it then you're able to appreciate it in other people's lives as well, right? You see, when God is kind to someone and gives someone more than they deserve, you don't have to be envious. It's not the only way to respond. What if instead we just said, that's my father? Like we kind of laughed and we're just like, He's just always giving people way more than they deserve. See, I like it because, like, instead of having to be like, well, that person must deserve it or things like that, like, you can look at this person, and in your mind, you're like, they do not deserve it. How could you possibly do this? They don't deserve it. And what I like about it is you don't actually have to change any of your views about their deserving. Like, they don't deserve it. As our God. <laughs> He just loves to give people so much more than they deserve. And he's showing off. I mean, he's really showing off with them. Because <laughs> I couldn't do that. I could not be nice to them. He's showing off. Like, he's showing off just how he must be like the richest, most generous being in the world to give that person that good news. So then, you know, instead of being like distressed, you're just like, wow, impressive. Wow, there, there you go. <laughs> that. Wow, that's my God, you know. Now, I can understand how it is possible for a father's generosity. I mean, it's kind of cool to think the most generous person in the world happens to be our father. But it is possible for the generosity of a father to cause distress. I remember when I bought my house, the owner gave me a really good deal on the house. And I found out later, his kids were very distressed about it uh, because they wanted the money, you know, the inheritance that they were thinking they were going to get pretty soon. Uh, and so it is possible for the generosity of a father to cause distress. But that's in a world of scarcity. You see, envy is based on a scarcity mindset. It's based the idea that if if I get a good, if he gives me something, then he can't give it to his kids. You see what I'm saying? But scarcity is like a word that our God doesn't even relate to, because in him there is no scarcity. I want you just to think of this line, just these couple lines. Nothing God gives to another person will keep you from all the good that he has in store for you. Nothing. Nothing God ever gives to another person is going to keep one drop of the good that he has perfectly planned for you in mind. In fact, if we actually believe the Bible, right after that text and over and over again, right after the Matthew parable and over and over again in the Bible what's it say? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. What he's basically saying is everything you miss out on in this or in this life puts you further and further back in the line. And in eternity it all gets flipped. And so everything you miss out on in this life is simply storing up good for you in heaven. Where the last will be the first, and those who missed out on it in this life will be the first to enjoy it in heaven. And if you thought that, then you wouldn't be so mad when you missed out on something. So you didn't get the promotion. Well, you'll be the first in line to get it in heaven. It just puts you further back. The further back you are in the line, so your church is really small, Shoot, what? I don't know if we get to pastor in heaven, but man, my church is going to be big. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so that's what I got to keep telling me. Everybody that leaves on earth, there's more coming in heaven, hopefully. So, I mean, that's what it says, right? I mean, you got to believe it. You just got to believe it. So, isn't that crazy, right? It's just the it, heaven flips it. Praise God. The last thing, we're going to end with this. God has already given us the very best gift that the universe will ever experience. You already have him. Isn't that what the psalmist says? Whom have I in heaven but you? On earth there's nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God has given us his precious son. There's nothing in heaven to compare to him. Everything in this earth, unworthy to compare, doesn't hold a candle to the joy that you can have right now, wherever you are, in Jesus. And so when we receive the grace that our God has given us through Jesus, and that we are willing to acknowledge everything good comes from him, suddenly gratitude replaces envy, joy replaces distress. Just, I just want you, I've just been meditating on how happy I would be if everybody else's good news actually made me happy. I'm just like, man, I got to cultivate that because there's so much joy that I'm missing out. You know, Tab things I'm joyful, but I can tell you I'm missing some joy because there's a lot of good things happening to other people that I could be rejoicing about that I'm not. So I'm going to give you one last way. One last way, and that's it. I've been trying this. It's a... It's a, it's a When I start to feel that distress, I started to just pray for good for the person that I'm struggling with envy. So when I hear that, you know, a peer just wrote a book and people love it and I always wish that I could write a book on that topic. Or when I'm distressed about any good news, you know, somebody that, you know, that that I'm struggling with deserving things just gets great news. I've just been praying and I just start praying and I actually just pray for more good. Whatever the distress is causing, I'm just, I start praying God will give them more good. And let me tell you, I, I write down my prayers a lot of times and I will tell you, it is physiologically difficult to do sometimes. Like I, the other day I was writing and I, I couldn't write the word. Like I, I, I was trying to force myself to pray for more good for this person who I did not believe deserved it and I could not do it with my right hand. And so I, had to, I, used, I used my other hand. I, I, it took me two hands, and I just very, I was able to, to carve it out. And uh, and you see, the thing is, I I pray it even when I don't want to pray it. And I pray it because I want to want to pray it. You see what I'm saying? Like, I, I want to want that good for them. I don't right now, always, but I want to. And so by forcing myself to pray it, it starts to tenderize my heart. It starts to, to just soften it a little bit, release the, the grip of envy. And, uh, and God's been using that. And C.S. Lewis talks about how like God uses prayers to change our desires. So you don't just wait till you want something to pray for. You pray for something that you know is right because you want to want it. And God uses our prayers to change our desires. So. All right. I'm going to leave us with that. Just remember, our God is the most generous being in the universe. And that's not a bad. And when you see him showing off his grace, you remember the God that is showing off how gracious He is is preparing a place for you right now. And who do you want preparing a place for you? A generous being. A being who is going to make your place way better than you deserve. And so when he shows it off with others, she's like, "Praise God, that's my God. That's my father. I want to live with him forever." And he's right now lavishing his generosity. If I don't see it all on this earth, it's because he's building it in to the place up there. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for lavishly giving us infinitely more than we deserve in your son, Jesus. Thank you that you conquered our envy through your grace. Thank you that this is a battle that we lost and you won. God, I just ask that you would unloose the strings of envy in our hearts, open our eyes to see that everything good in our life is a gift. Would you help us to focus more on the good that we have that we don't deserve than the good that we don't deserve that we don't have? And would you fill our hearts with gratitude? And God, would you, and I pray that I pray this now, and I pray that each of us would, even as I speak, pray it, would you do good to others? Would you bless them? Would you give them the good desires of their heart? Even the things that we want, that we think we deserve more, God, would you give them to others? And would you give us, the grace to celebrate that. Give us joy in the good that you give to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.